You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 172, Laura Flanders and a Mentored Life. Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. And I'm so excited that you're here and glad that you've decided to join us. I hope that you've had a wonderful holiday season. In fact, uh, if you're listening to this the week it comes out, it's coming out right between Christmas and New Year's 2019. And I'm sure uh, many of you will listen to it at some point later on, either this year or next year or, uh, you know, Maybe a few years from now. That's one of the beauties of podcasting is they live forever and people go go back and find ones they like. In fact, this episode is going to be one that I think will stand for a really long time as a valuable resource about mentoring. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Before we do, I want to tell you um, a little bit about it. So what what I'm doing here, I we actually, you've heard me mention this if you're a, a listener to the show at all. If you're new, welcome. Uh, if you've been around for a while, I'm glad that you're here. Um, but uh, one thing that we do is we have Patreon. So Patreon is a platform that allows us to offer information and um, additional kinds of cool things that you might like uh, every single, on, on usually a monthly basis or a per, per episode basis. And it allows you to support the show financially uh, as well. So sometimes people will do, if they're podcasters, they'll do a uh, episode uh, per episode donation of like a dollar or $2 or something. Uh, and what I've chosen to do is just $5 a month if you want to join and get an extra conversation. Um, and then you, it goes up from there. If you want to get a t- free t-shirt, it's $25 a month, uh, things like that. So I'm always on the lookout for extra conversations. And when, so when our guest today reached out and said, Hey, I'd love to do a conversation about mentoring that's specifically about mentoring. Um, I said, yeah, that'd be a great extra conversation. Um, but here's the thing, the conversation that we had today, um, I'm actually going to go ahead and share it with you in, in its entirety for two reasons. Number one, I think it's just too darn valuable to, to, uh, leave, um, behind a paywall so that nobody else can listen to it except for the few folks who decide to take that step. And number two, I wanted to give you a really great example of the kinds of conversations that we're having on Patreon. I want you to, to hear it, to listen to this conversation with our guest and the, the level of detail and the ideas that we go into and the, the, the power behind it, um, the kinds of th- ways that it will spur you in your discipleship. I want you to ask yourself this question. Should I decide to support Halfway There on Patreon in 2020? And if you do, I would really appreciate it. It's not that much. Like I said, $5 a month, maybe, you know, lose a latte or something every month. I, I don't know. Um, but I promise I'm going to give you the best content I possibly can. I would appreciate the support. I love connecting with you. Here's the thing. The people who are on there, those of you who have chosen to to support us already, some of you I know personally, and I, I appreciate that. Uh, and some of you, I just know, um, you know, I've, I've been able to connect with on, on the, on the platform. And so I'd love to do that with you as well. Um, I, you know, if you're, if you're interested, so if you like the show and it means something to you and it's something that you have really developed and grown because of consider doing that, uh, for the rest of you, um, you know, it's okay. Just enjoy this episode, uh, thinking about your life as a mentored life. So our guest, her name is Laura Flanders. She is one of my mentors. She was my, uh, well, you'll hear us talk about it, but she was my training center director when I was in seminary at Denver seminary. I had her and, th- and two other mentors and we met together, uh, every quarter or a couple times every semester, I guess. And it really um, had a huge impact on me. It was something that I was looking for, didn't get in my churches, although there were well-intentioned people who wanted to to mentor me in some way. Uh, and so I went to Denver Seminary looking for that kind of mentorship and and found it. And I think it's had a profound impact on who I eventually became. So we, I wanted to talk to Laura about mentoring. We talk about all kinds of things, including what does it take to be a mentor? What, what are the different kinds of mentoring relationships? 
Um, and are there resources? In fact, she gives us a whole bunch of resources. I would encourage you go to halfwaytherepodcast.com, click on the uh, page, the show notes page for this episode, because I think there's maybe it's not a dozen, maybe it's 10 links to books and um, other organizations and things that are helpful um, for for mentoring there as well. So I think you'll find that as a valuable resource about mentoring if it's a topic that you're interested in. We even talk about is mentoring different than discipleship, which I think is a powerful question and one one that's really worth answering. So Laura, thanks a lot for being here. Guys, here without uh, any further ado, here's my conversation with Laura Flanders. And her official title is the Associate Lecturer and Chair of Training and of the Training and Mentoring Program or Curriculum at Denver Seminary, Laura Flanders. Laura, welcome to Halfway There Again. Thanks, Eric. It's really good to see you. <laughs> I'm glad to have you there. I hope I'd I... be in the same room with you, but this is the yes. second best. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I do I think when we recorded the first time, so you you were on the um short list of people I thought, well, maybe she'd be willing to have a conversation with me when I first started the podcast More way willing. You call, back. You call me your mentor. You're my mentor. Oh, well, that's great. Um, so it was, uh, but that was a long time ago because that was, I think, 2016, the year that right. we, that I yeah. first launched the show. We actually just passed 300,000 downloads uh, yesterday. <sighs> Isn't that crazy? Eric, congratulations. So that's so great. Yeah, that's it was kind of fun to connect with you again, uh, you know, all this time later. So, and I, of course, we follow each other on Facebook, and uh, I just have tremendous respect for you and, and your opinions. Um, but mentoring is a thing that, that you do. And I mentioned you were one of my mentors because when I was in school, which I talk about probably too often, but I, I was, uh, uh, you were one of the training, you're my training center director. And yeah. so we kind of, you kind of organized all the other two mentors that I had and my learning contracts every year or semester. And uh, that um, was really the reason I came out to Denver Seminary. So a lot of times when I talk about that experience, that's one of the things I talk about because it was so deeply shaping for me. Um, so having a conversation about mentoring, I think will be really good. It'll be fun. Yes. All right. So there's a little bit of setup. So why don't um, you tell us uh, what kind of your role is, and then we'll kind of define mentoring. My role at Denver Seminary? Yes. Okay. Um, I sit on the faculty. We have a, a curriculum that's a part of every student's degree program that allows students to discern, develop, manage, and reflect on their own unique learning uh you call them contracts, we call them plans. Yeah. But I call I also want to say their own unique learning experiences. We don't want to assume that uh, in an educational environment that we know what everything students need to learn. And so we want to give them space and treat them like the adult learners that they are. Yeah. Give them space to engage in their own learning needs, supported by mentors. So uh, mentored formation, mentored learning is uh, the curriculum that I um, am a part of at Denver Seminary and get to be on a great team of other professors who come alongside students to help them learn how to learn. Um, not that they don't know how to learn, but we're all learning how to better learn because learning changes as we age. The way we learn changes oh, wow. as we age. And we want to suggest to students that uh, relational learning should be part of that process because we're made in the image of God and God is a relational being. Uh, mm. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I don't think we can learn apart from other people. We use the word mentoring. We could use a different word. You know, it's a big word. Yeah. Word that needs to be kind of defined, but uh, yeah, we do we do work to define it. So, um, but that's a little bit of what I do. I mean, it's it's a curriculum. It's required. <laughs> a student can't graduate from Denver Seminary without it. Some students come in kicking and screaming. Most students <laughs> are like you and wanting it. There's a, you know, I'd love yeah. to hear more about why you wanted it. Um, they're wanting the mentoring. In fact, 95% of our students, when they're polled after they're accepted at Denver Seminary, say that the training and mentoring curriculum is what one of the reasons why they chose Denver Seminary. So I'm not surprised to hear you say oh, yeah. that that was your story. Um, but even so, once they get started, there's a lot of resistance to it. It's not easy to practice being known. 
Oh. It is not I. And then we talk about resistance. I'm resistant to it. I'm, you know, here I am, the chair of the training mentoring curriculum. I'm trying to show students how resist. I tell them my stories of my own mentored life with my current mentor, Arlene, and the other mentors that I have. I have a variety of mentors. Um, don't mm. be too impressed. Don't be impressed by that. I am an Henri mentee. <laughs> I resist it. I resist it. It's uh, not easy to be a learner. <laughs> I think you recall. So do I. So did I. So the uh, yes, I love that. It's not easy to practice being known, and yet isn't that a calling in the church? I mean, that's really what we're yes. supposed to be yes. doing. I think our calling is not to a job. Right. It might involve a job, but our calling is to participate with Christ. That's yeah. very clear in Scripture. Uh, I mean, sometimes Scripture uses calling, you know, to a place or to a task, but that's pretty much not, that's not very, uh, that's more descriptive than prescriptive. Calling language is about who we are. Mm. It's a call to participate with Christ, be grow in holiness with him, um, which if it's in Christ, it's in the church. It's in the relational capacity. Not that we can't practice being known if we don't know Christ, because we're made in his, everybody's made in his image. But I think to be fully known means to be fully in community yeah. with Christ, which is with his church and with others. Um, in mentoring, if you want to call it mentoring, you don't have to call it mentoring. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the church is one of those places where even... You know, even as, uh, you know, I talk a lot on the show about Dark Nights of the Soul, right? The Yeah. Or the wall, as the critical journey calls it. Yeah, I think that's smart that you do that. Because it's normal, and I want people to hear that. It's mm-hmm. normal. This is how God takes things out of us. John of the Cross tells us that, right? That, yeah. That yeah. it's how God pulls these sins out of us, um, or whatever you want to call it. But that's that matters. And so that community is a big part of, of how he does that. Um, I, mean, I want to suggest you can't even grow without it. Right. I, I, I know. Because, of the, because we're made in his image and his image is community. Um, I have a colleague working on a book focused on the art, uh, art of reflection and learning. And she's going to suggest you cannot learn without reflection. And I'm going to suggest that reflection can't happen apart from uh, uh, being mm. with others. Yeah, I mean, it, it really full orbed reflection because reflection involves the testing of our assumptions. Right. Learning, so learn you can't learn without an assumption being tested. Right. <laughs> so so I, I have some ideas, but I'm wondering why you think that's the case. Why? Which I said well, just a lot. In that you did. Time. So why? Uh, why is it the case that we can't know without uh, reflection from other people? Well, knowledge is different than wisdom. Hmm. So. It, wisdom is a reflection of learning that you've learned. You can know a lot of facts, but if it is an applied learn, p- applied knowledge, which I would consider to be wisdom, wisdom is an indication that formation or transformation has has, has occurred. Yeah, um, and I've heard theologian. I'm not a I'm not a um, professional theologian. I'm more of just a lay theologian. What, what I mean by that the- theology meaning God talk, being able to study. Um, doctrines, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, But I've heard trained theologians, people with PhDs, say you can't theologically reflect apart from community, Mm. apart from dialogue with others. Yeah, and we learn that way. Yeah, that's that's a pretty bold statement to make. That is, that is. Interesting. Okay, that's got me thinking about experience and things like that. So maybe we could dive into that in a little while. I wanted to find the term mentoring or the idea. So maybe we're kind of already mm. around that topic a little bit. But what what would you how would you define mentoring? That's a that's a hard question, right? I mean, <laughs> and I'm going to suggest to anyone if they want to start a mentoring effort in their organization and they're going to bring a group of people around the table to talk about how to do that, that they already have a problem. They already have a barrier. And the barrier is that each of them has experienced mentoring um, in differing ways. And um, that is a barrier to them as they try to figure out what is mentoring in our organization or a group of people or, or our family if a husband and wife were to get together and want to talk about, we want to 
um, create a mentoring culture in our family with our children, they've got a problem because they've each experienced it differently. So they need to define the term. Um, not, I'm not saying in a way that negates each of their own experiences of mentoring, but in, in a way that in, invites it and allows for it. So they need to, what I think, define um, a, what I call a baseline definition of mentoring um, that they can share a baseline definition of mentoring that allows for all what I'm going to call the various mentoring forms that take place. So when you go to define mentoring, I want to say mentoring isn't everything or it's nothing. Mm. So I, I don't call all my relationships mentoring. Yeah. That could be, that could get the danger of a baseline definition is we would make, we would make mentoring everything. And if we do that, then it's nothing. Right. Um, so what I, what I would suggest people do is to look at a bunch of definitions of mentoring. Just Google a whole bunch of definitions, put them all on one piece of paper, and find out what's common amongst all the definitions. And I do this little exercise all, all, every semester mm-hmm. with students, and I do it when I give consultations on mentoring. And the answer is always the same. Mentoring involves some form of growth. It involves a relationship of some sort. And it is a very, it is an intentional process. So the baseline definition that we use here at the seminary, and I just shared this with a group of of church people, of church leaders, pastors, and they, once we were working through it and I shared, well, here's our baseline definition. They said, oh, that's good. So, but take this with a grain of salt and I'm going to read it. Mentoring is a relational practice in which there is intentional pursuit towards growth and transformation. I like it. And, and I, I would suggest, so there's lots of mentoring forms. There's apprenticing. So does pr- apprenticing fit into that, you know, rela- mentoring is a relational practice in which um, there is intention, intentional pursuit towards growth and transformation. I think apprenticeship fits, un- in, fits that. Um, if it's coaching, you know, we have life coaches. Yeah. It's a relational practice in which there's an intentional pursuit towards growth and transformation. Um, sponsoring, you know, we, some people have sponsors, what they call sponsors for various different things that they're trying to accomplish. Or um, we use the phrase companion in Christ form of mentoring. Yeah. Um, I, I worked, the church I worked with last week, they call that gospel friendship. Oh, interesting. pursuit. Um, what's another form of mentoring? Let me look at my list here. Counseling, I think, fits into that. Totally. Yeah, I see that a lot. Now, the intentionality on the count, you know, where does the intentionality, is it in the mentor or the mentee? Sometimes it's more in the mentor or more in the mentee. Teaching can be a form of mentoring if there's an intentional pursuit on the teacher's part towards formation. Right. Not just information. We know a lot of teachers that download information. I don't call that mentoring. Yeah. But they can stand up in front of a group of students and have their eye towards formation and transformation, even if they never spend one-on-one time with those students. And I would call that mentoring. Yeah. And we all, I mean, we all know those teachers. We've, we've maybe all had those teachers who were more impactful than others, right? Yeah. Who, who actually yeah. uh, had – they taught us not just um, – the subject matter, but they taught us something else about how to see the world that really changes the way we go about being in the world. Yeah. They, they, they shared their life with us right. in the classroom and they, they allowed our assumptions to be challenged. And they, here's what's, here's what's in, really interesting about that kind of teacher who I would call a mentor. They allowed their own assumptions to be challenged. It was an exchange of information, yeah. not just a download of information. Yeah. There's some mutuality to it. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, Every semester, I have students to share one of the the first thing out the gate in their very first class at Denver Seminary. Talk about a mentor. I don't define it yet. haven't defined it yet. And more often than not, they're talking about that kind of teacher that you just suggested. Yeah, that's that's who they're talking about. Yeah. Teachers have an opportunity to be. I know. Formers. (laughs) Um, You know. I have. um, So my. He's really my friend, but he's also my cousin. I don't know if you know him. Aaron Long. Do you remember Aaron? Do you know Aaron Long? Yes. He was yeah. at Denver Seminary before I was. In fact, he was one Say of the to him for instrumental people. But he's he's um, teaching now. He's about to finish up his PhD. Ah, and he was telling me the other day about how he 
um, had the chance to just really, we might say minister or just kind of speak into from a Christian perspective, the lives of several of his students, not in an obtrusive way, uh, or, you know, that's not really the course matter that he's teaching at all, but mm-hmm. he had some personal conversations and had a chance to say, you know, God's still there. And, uh, it, it really was like, it lit him up, right? It, it, cause he got to share and, and yeah. they were receptive and it changed yeah. their lives. And that's really what he was after, which, um, is yeah, Park, Parker neat. Palmer in his book, um, The Courage to Teach, uh, suggests that you cannot check your values at the door as a teacher. Oh, yeah. Um, and there, there's a, there, there was this movement of valueless education where you shouldn't <laughs> bring your values. Well, you're bringing your entire person into the right. classroom. Oh. Um, Man, I talk about that a lot, too. I, the whole yeah. human being, we have to care about the whole human being as as Christians. I think we've not necessarily done a great job of that but we can that's a whole nother topic um so all right so we have kind of an idea of what mentoring is um this and then it has various forms of it yes and we want to allow for that yeah and even so part of those forms can be um so they may be like long term they may be short term yeah they may be there's a lot of different variations in that yeah i tend to categorize the different forms and suggest I put them in two categories. One category is balcony mentoring. Mm. Um, balcony mentoring would be the, the forms that can fit into that category would be the forms where the whole life of the mentee is being considered in that, in that mentoring relationship. Whereas ground floor mentoring are mentors who primarily are going to be helping you for a short amount of time and in one dimension or two dimensions of your life. And though apprenticing fits more mm. into that category. Um, you know, I've had, uh, I had a mentor for a while that taught me how to talk to a camera mm-hmm. <laughs> with the advent of online uh, curriculum. Oh my gosh. How do I talk to a camera when there's no student in the room? Yeah. I got to record a lecture, right? That was a ground floor mentor. He, he didn't help me with my, he didn't care about my whole life. <laughs> Yeah, He was just helping me with the skill, whereas my mentor Arlene was the one who cared enough about me, about the whole of me, and saw my anxiety, and, and I said, I need to go to a counselor. Maybe I, I'm having anxiety issues, and she's the one that said, you don't need to go to a counselor. You need a skill mentor mm. who helps you talk to the camera. That's why you're having anxiety. I didn't even know that. Yeah. She picked, so balcony mentoring is somebody who considers your whole life. They get up on the balcony with you. Yeah. And they consider your whole life where a ground floor mentor is just caring about more about one dimension of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really helpful. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can, I've been thinking more as I look to 2020 about skills. So that's a, that's a really interesting one for me to go. Okay. Who who can teach me these skills that I need to learn in my business in the next year? I would consider that mentoring because Mm. now they, they might be, um, they, you might not call, you might not say, "Hey, can you be my mentor?" I don't tell everybody I'm making you my mentor. Right, it's just a way I think about my own mentored life. Yeah, um, but but I, I'm the integrator. I'm the one that's integrating my faith into that skill development. If I'm going to go be a truck driver and learn how to drive um, a big rig, um, and as a believing woman, Christ, a Christ follower, the, maybe the only skill mentor I have is someone who doesn't follow Christ, but that is a spiritually forming skill development activity for me because I'm the one integrating my faith into that. So I, I can make it about my whole life, but my mentor is not going to be doing that. He's just going to, he or she's going to just be teaching me how to drive the, the rig. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Forming, it's a spiritually forming thing for you to go and develop those skills that you need. Yeah. Which raises a question. There's some responsibility. Oh. On, on your part too. So I, yeah. I, I kind of want to dive into that because what you introduced that. there, that mm-hmm. idea of, so I'm just picturing strands, right? Of all kind of bringing in all the strands and you being the aggregator of all those things yeah, and thinking of them and putting them together really maybe with yourself and the Lord, right? And kind of mm-hmm. weaving a, uh, like I'm thinking of a rope, you know, how you kind of weave the, we get yeah. that three strand yeah. idea. Yeah. I think, I think, um, I, what I want to suggest to mentees is that um, they need to be in the driver's seat if they're developmentally ready to be in that. I mean, some, some wouldn't be, right? Yeah. Um, and we wouldn't have time to go d- deep into this. <laughs> but um, 
um, I'm going to suggest to them in the word interdependent versus uh, over and against being a dependent mentee or an independent mentee. An interdependent mentee typically is somebody who's going to have that balcony mentor. Um, that balcony mentor is somebody who cares about their whole life and is going to push some buttons when they need to be pushed to say to Laura, my, here's Arlene saying to me, that is not what you need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's not letting me stay in the driver's seat in that moment. You don't need to go see a counselor for your anxiety. You need a skill mentor. See what, yep. you know, so I'm not necessarily being an independent mentee in that moment. I'm interdependent in that I need her to, to call an audible, to use a football term. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Call an audible? I don't, yep. I don't play football. Change it up. Yeah, change it up. So, yeah, but the, I, I think to your point, though, Eric, is we've done a disservice in not encouraging mentees to take ownership. So if we use the word discipleship, which I think I'd rather use that word, to be honest with you, but there's a reason why we don't use it at Denver Seminary. Um, I think the reason why the church could be suffering a little bit is because we have created too, too much dependency and haven't encouraged interdependency or taking ownership over your own learning life. Um, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a grievous thing to me. Um, yeah, that has multiple expressions, doesn't it? So it, there on the one hand, you know, I think this is easiest to see in like children's and, and like youth work, right? So the idea that, well, I take my kids to the youth group or I take them to the kids thing and they get discipled there. They learn the mm-hmm. things. Yep. And then very good stuff, right? Right. It's wonderful, but it can't be the whole. So somebody said to me today, you get, you know, the youth worker at the most gets 200 hours a year with your kid. You probably get 3000 hours a year with your kid. Right. Right. You're going to have to take some responsibility for that. Same thing happens when we assume that, you know, the only spiritual uh, information that I need is what I can get on Sunday morning with a, with a sermon, a uh, yeah. 45 minute sermon or something. Okay. There's some assumptions that that makes too. Right. And yeah. this is one of the right. things I've been really, it was one of the things I've learned on my show over the last three and a half years is we make the assumption that what we need is knowledge about, right. So our, our worship services, basically if they're a 45 minute sermon and 15 minutes of singing, that's what we're assuming. People need more information, but in the information age, information is cheap. Experiences are expensive. And so that's not necessarily the case. In fact, you turned me on to Sky Jatani, who I absolutely love <laughs> trying to get him on the podcast. Maybe we will soon. Oh, um, he's coming out with a book in April. So I'm thinking that might be my opportunity. We'll see. There you go. But he, yeah. um, Hey, you could tell him that we require that book. Um, for I will. Every, inter- every student at Denver Seminary has to read that book. And that I was the one that introduced you to him and said that he should be on your podcast because of that. I will. <laughs> I'll let him know. Uh, but but I, I love it because that book, so the book we're talking about is With, With um, yeah. by Sky Jatani, which was so, that was, it wasn't really new information for me, but he clarified it. He put it in words that mm-hmm. that made so much more sense. Structures it in a way that is, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so. Um, why was I talking about Sky Jatani? Oh. oh, he wrote an article recently about um, about how sermons are not going to be the future of the worship gathering or the, the mm-hmm. weekly gathering because you can get better sermons and more sermons in, throughout the week via podcasting, which I thought was kind of an interesting, interesting way. So. Interesting. I'm not sure I like that. No. <laughs> well, I'll send you the link and you tell me what you think. I, I think the See, word. My assumptions, I, my assumptions are being challenged right, right. now. Right. The, the word, the, the Bible will always be part of the gathering. But whether you yes. need a guy to come and or tell girl. you. Or girl. Yes. <laughs> yes, you're right. Sorry. Actually, I've been on that bandwagon recently. So you I should. I, online, you know. Yeah. I need to say it that way. But um, uh, whether you need somebody to expound that for you. Maybe debatable. Anyway, yeah. Um, that so that assumption of knowledge, I think, is really really interesting. It lacks that mutuality as well. It does. It does. Um, yeah. Boy, it's a can of worms. All right. So, so we were talking about the idea of uh, taking ownership of your own of your own learning. Yeah. 
And what are some ways that people can do that? So, you know, a student at Denver Seminary is going to have a plan and you're going to oversee that or one of your directors is going to oversee that. What can just an average ordinary Christian local church do to take ownership of their own mentoring? Well, you know, it depends on who we're talking about. There there are going to be some people who can't. True. Um, so we, uh, they're not developmentally ready, and that's not a judgment statement. By my saying that, yeah, um, or maybe even emotionally ready to take ownership over their own learning. So, um, well, so but we, that that assumes yeah. that then suggests something, right? So, um, it does. then it maybe does. you need to take some steps in order to get yeah. ready. Like if you're aware of that, yeah, yeah. But let's assume we're talking about people who who are fairly developmentally ready and emotionally ready. As we said earlier, we all resist it (laughs) on some level. We're all still not really ready to take ownership over our own. I'm still not ready. I'm still learning how to take ownership over my own learning. I want to blame everybody else for something I didn't do. But I think think one of the things that has helped me, I'll just talk about my own self, that has helped me take more ownership over my own learning is for me to understand that my mentor, that people who help me learn are just a source of learning rather than being the fount of all knowledge. Um, what I mean by that yeah. is they're just a Yahoo with limitations of their <laughs> own. Um, and they don't, they're not, they're not God to me. <laughs> Um, and that if I, that helps me somehow take better ownership over my own learning life <clears throat> because then I can allow them to just be the limited human person that they are. So they're not, like I said, they're not a, they're not, they're a, they're not a fount of knowledge. They're just a source, um, of many, many different sources, um, that I can engage. Uh, another thing <clears throat> we, we talk a lot about integration, um, I don't want to get too high level here, but, and I already referred to this, but I, I think another thing that helps me take ownership over my own learning is that I'm really the integrator, the one who has to, to discern why this matters. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that a teacher or a mentor isn't also responsible for communicating why this subject matters, but it, that's really on me if I want to be a good a good learner, a good mentee. Um, I had a course here at Denver Seminary, and I've already actually, this um, professor is now my colleague and friend, and we joke about it, but I had was having a negative experience in, um, in the class because I was having a hard time understanding why mm. we were learning what we were learning. Yeah. Um, and I had to work my way through that. Um, and take ownership over the fact that I, got, I had to figure out why. And, and I had to give myself even permission that I might not figure out the why until after the course was over. Oh, interesting. Right? So, yeah. So that leads to another way of <laughs> taking ownership over your own learning is to trust God. We have to more increasingly trust what God does with our learning. Right. Even if it, even if it feels like it's just an information dump at this moment. God still, he doesn't waste anything. Right. He, he doesn't waste. So I have to wow. pay attention to the fact that years later is when God might reveal the why. Right. Not necessarily the why. I had to be careful. Theologically, I have to be careful with that. Um, and I can unpack why I'm saying that. But not necessarily the why that God caused it. And that's why it happened. Right, right, but right. But he, he creates the meaning for me and helps me figure that out. We're always working to create meaning with yeah. God. We're sort of wired that way, aren't we? We are. To create meaning. Yeah. Um, I think what helps me be a better learner is to um, um, remain curious. Yes. To remain curious and to... You know, my students, when they walk through my office door, I, my mentor's coming through the door. That's why I, ca- I called you my mentor, and I really yeah. mean that. I really, they're coming through my door, and, and I'm going to, they're my mentor. I don't tell them that. <laughs> right. <laughs> that freaks them out. <laughs> but I'm ready to learn. I'm curious. There's a textbook walking through my door. Yes. And can we engage with people in that way? 
Yeah, well, I think that speaks to what you said earlier about uh, the community aspect, right? Like we yeah. we learn from each other. I love this thing about the gospel too that it makes us all that way, right? We're all yeah. we're all on the same plane. We're all just trying to help each other walk with the Lord a little bit better. Yeah, and there's a mutuality yeah. to that. Wow, there's a total mutuality. So to that. I think. So- there's, I have a question about that, too, because I think when you talk about mentoring, one of the problems with the word is if I ask somebody to be a mentor, that that can feel like a lot of expectations. Yep. Right. Oh, and so people go, I really can't commit to all that right now. You yeah. know, there's there's something with that. So how do you get around that? Maybe maybe just by defining it or not even telling them. Yeah. some I, I've heard. Oh, I wish I could remember who I heard say this. It might come to me. Um, I've heard it said you should never use the word because <laughs> it does freak people out. Yeah. And I tell you, I, you know, I now, we now have online mentor orientation here at Denver Seminary because so many of our students are online. Um, but when we're able to teach face-to-face, which I did for years, you know, yeah. we would have 50, 60 people in a room with mentor orientation. They were all nervous, all the mentors. I'm, I've just said, yeah, what have I said yes to? Because the word feels so big. So, that's, right. yeah, that's why in the first thing out the gate, that I would do in that orientation is define mentoring. And then you could just kind of see them all relax. Right. <laughs> Cause you want to. Okay. So um, I lost sight of your question. Well, that was part of it. So, cause it yeah. feels like I have to know everything now. Like I, I've right. got to be yep. the guy or the per girl be who. The be all end all. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. And what, what I want to do with mentors is to help them embrace the type of mentor that they are. Um, and learn to be to be okay with that, that they're not like the mentor to their left or their right. So there's this great definition of mentoring um, from the Uncommon Individual Foundation. You've, you've probably heard me say it. Mentoring is a brain to pick, an ear to listen, and a push in the right direction, or a kick in the seat of the pants. <laughs> <laughs> so mentoring is a brain to pick, an ear to listen, and a push in the right direction. And when I share that, that definition with mentors, I suggest to them that they probably have a bent towards one of them. And mm. I see all these nods around the room, right? Yep. You're probably already really, you probably have a bent towards one of them. Yeah. Mentoring is a brain to pick, an ear to listen, and a push in the right direction. Mine is a push in the right direction. Probably doesn't surprise you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my, that's my bent. In fact, I used to think I had the spiritual gift of confrontation. Um, <laughs> so that's my bent. It's kind of who Laura is. I can't really change that about myself and I should embrace that and be thankful for it and realize there's a lot of good things about it, but also pay attention to the fact that I still need to learn how to listen and I still need to be comfortable with the fact that I have a brain to pick. Right. There's reasons why I might think I don't, you know, we could go into that, but I do have a brain to pick and I should have let people do that. Um, but I'm most comfortable in that space where I'm asking a lot of questions, helping the, the mentee to challenge their assumptions. I mean, that's what I'm better at doing than, than listening. I'm not a very good listener. I've had to really work hard at listening. And listening is a peacemaking activity. Right? Oh, yeah. So I, wow. I have to learn how to listen. Yes. See, I love listening. That's my favorite thing. Okay, so, so yeah, there's, yeah, there's your bent, right? That's we why I have a podcast. with each other more often. I can learn from you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so so that 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 definition, I think, uh, I lost sight of why I shared that. Yeah, that was good. Problem with dialogue. But. Uh, because we were talking about um, mentors <laughs> and how it seems like a big word to kind of take on. Yeah, okay, I'm going to be yeah, a mentor. So, you know, that definition, might, that definition might settle a mentor down to say, oh, I'm the brain to pick mentor. And yeah, I better learn to listen because I might talk too much. Right. Right. <laughs> or, you know, or me, I need to, you know, better listen because I might push too much. Yeah. Because there's not, you don't have to be everything. You, you don't. You have need to be, to be you. And so that's the first thing. That is the primary goal of, for me when I get to train mentors is to give them a definition and help them embrace the form of mentoring that they, the type of mentor that they are. Um, if they're if they're primarily an apprenticeship type mentor and they work really well in that brain to pick space, great. yeah, embrace that. Right. Maybe maybe you shouldn't say yes to being a companion in Christ or a balcony mentor. Huh. You might be really bad at helping someone consider the whole of their life. That's okay. Yeah. Let someone else do that. You're still mentoring. That's really interesting. Something it's about okay. my mentoring experience, and I so I had you. So that was a that was a little nudge, and then I had a, I had a, guy, a pastor, and I had a, a lay mentor, 
And I think my pastor was probably the brain to pick about mm-hmm. ministry issues. And my lay mentor was the guy to listen. Yeah, and you that's, had an apprenticeship type of mentoring and you had a companion yeah, Christ mentor. I had one of each. Yeah, and <laughs> let's be okay with that. And right. and then when we're when we're asking people, have you ever been mentor have you ever been a mentee? Mm-hmm. They they're like, Oh no, I've never had a mentor. But they probably have. Right. They probably have. So I ask, you know, um, who I'm th- I'm gonna quote uh Mr. Rogers right now. I saw I've been watched both. I watched both the, the documentary on him and then the recent movie. Nice. And he he asked this question: Who loved you into being? So I'll ask that question wow. to get mentees thinking about who's been their mentor. So who loved you into being? Who taught you something? Who taught you a skill? Who primarily listened to you rather than, you know, instructed you? So I have a series of questions to help them see. Oh, I have been mentored. Right. Now, again, the danger is mentoring is not everything or it's nothing. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, again, I think that goes to the idea of it feeling like a big word, but it doesn't really need to be. It doesn't, you can do what you can do and that's your role. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I tell people all the time with their spiritual journey, accept where you are, right? Just be honest about it and accept where you are. It's okay. Embrace what the learning is in that space and that stage Right. Um, that you're in. Yes. Don't just try to rush do that. through it. Right. <laughs> Accept it. <laughs> Let well, it be what it is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We don't want you to get stuck here. Yeah. But there's so much to learn and to grow in. Uh, right. And if something's feeding you at that moment, take it. It's okay. Yeah. Enjoy it. Yeah. That's yeah. that's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. There's this great poem called Trust in the Slow Work of God by Pierre de Chardin. I'm probably, I'm probably, I can't say French names. Um, tr- trust in the slow work of God. Oh my goodness. What a great, you Google it. If you're listening to this podcast, Google it. It will give you permission to settle down and not be in such a hurry and trusting that God's work mm. sometimes in our experience of it is very, very slow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Okay. Um, I have some questions. So I had asked some it's for some questions on Facebook and we got a few. So I wanted to go through a few of those and okay. maybe we've addressed a little bit of them. What else, before I do that, do we need to cover about mentoring? Do you think it needs to be in this conversation mm. that we haven't mentioned mm. yet? Mm. Oh, there's so much. Yeah. Um, I can't think of anything off the top okay. of my head in this exact moment, but That's I'll right. interject if it comes into me. Perfect. I mean, there's so much, Eric. I could talk on and on about it. I know. That's why I wanted to give you a very, <laughs> very open door. I, I would say, I, let me just say this. Engendering trust is really important. Yeah. And there's a lot that goes into engendering trust. Um, bo- and both parties, both the mentor and the mentee, are responsible for that. It's not just the mentor's responsibility. It's also the mentee's responsibility. Mm. And often I hear, and we talk about this together with my students and their mentors. They come to my office and we talk about mentoring values, which is a soft way of getting at what our expectations are in a mentoring relationship. But what is going to engender trust is a a common uh, conversation. And here's what I hear. Um, They use a word that I think gets overused. Um, but they say, I really value vulnerability mm. um, and or authenticity. Right. And th- those words get overused and we have to define them, but and we, don't, we won't go that way. So I'll say that. Yeah. We've got to work to engender trust. And for most people, I think, can you tell me your story? Right. Can you invite me into your life? And can I tell you mine? I think is what we're, we're, we're talking about. And, and that's be- practicing being known. Both the mentor and the mentee. And let me tell you, I've seen mentees who've had mentors start to share their life with them and the mentee flips out. Yeah. Because what they've done is they've put their mentor on a pedestal. Uh Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden they go over to the mentor's house and see the mentor kick the dog. (laughs) Maybe the mentor to sin. Right, right, right. The mentor might get mad or the mentor might yell at their kid in front of the mentee, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the mentor's inviting the mentee into their home and letting them see more of the reality of their life. And the mentee has put them on a pedestal and crisis happens. Yeah. What do you (laughs) do then? That happens. And then they have to work through that. 
that they're in the mentee has to allow that to happen. Right. I'm not talking about overt um, um, immorality here. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Okay. Right. You know that you should stay in a mentor relationship with somebody who's you know you know. Yeah. Yeah. But I I think we okay. can uh, we can say yeah. if some yeah. if a relationship any relationship is abusive or. There's yeah. a problem, then clearly. Or there's you know, a problem where the mentor is not admitting sin or the mentee yeah, is not admitting yeah. overt sin. And they're, yeah. But there's yeah. a difference between that and being um, just having a bad day, right? Or having a being being discouraged or whatever. There's all kinds of other things. So there you go. That's the one thing. Sorry, we've talked about No, that's great. That's about the one thing. Engendering trust is really, really important in a mentor relationship. Trust, trust is so important, and authenticity and vulnerability are how yeah. you build trust. In any relationship, right? Yeah, and look up the definition of the word engendering. Okay. Yeah. I'll do that. All no, right. Building. So, I mean, building. Yeah, building's a good word, but I choose the word. I, I chose, chose the word engendering. All right. Well, what does that mean then? You. <laughs> no, we're not going to go into. All that. right. All right. Too much. <laughs> You're just going to look it up. <laughs> too much. Fine. Okay. Um, so we have a few questions. So my friend Thomas asked, how do you discern the information to give freely and information a mentor knows must be learned firsthand? Which I thought was an interesting mentoring oh. question. Information that say that, that so, is given freely or information that should be learned firsthand. Okay. Like they're talking about um, life experience. Yeah. I th- somebody experience something or should you try and save them from the pain? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think if the word information yeah. feels a little teachy, but I don't think that's, that's the only place where that applies. Right. I don't think that was maybe the intent of the question. Yeah. Although we don't have the asker in front of us, but I think probably they're thinking, should you save your mentee from suffering? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I'd be interested to know if that person is listening and is that what they meant by the question? But, um, you well, if this is the person that's asking this question, and they belong to Christ. I'm going to say that. Yeah. You walk by the Spirit of the Living God, and you will know. Mm, that's a good Christ question. Christ in you will tell you. Uh, um, that sounds like a really. I'm trying to back out of answering the question. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Because I. I okay. Ugh. You're going to know. You're, yes. Well, maybe you don't know, and maybe you do. You, maybe you give too much information, and, and as a mentor, you have to come back and say, ah, I shouldn't have shared that with you. I probably put the fear of God in you. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I, I'm asking mentees to forgive me all the time. I mean, boy, you better be able to willing to do that. engenders trust, by the way. Right. Um, you know, to ask for forgiveness. So, um, and so yeah, you're not going to always do it well as a mentor. Can you give yourself that permission? Can you take, not take on shame when you don't do it well? So all that to say, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of raising my kids has been that way. I approached, you know, I, I was their mentor. I still am their mentor. Our 31-year-old son came to our home for a two-hour meeting in the den. It's a decision-making process mm. that he's in. And we, he approaches us as one of his mentors, both me and my husband. So, um, yeah, you, sometimes you got to let them discover it. And not, I think, I think we should ask way more questions than tell. Yeah. I think our, we, if we're telling more than we're asking questions, now I understand some mentors are a brain to pick. Yeah. Um, and sometimes questions can be used to manipulate. And, but if our questions are open-ended questions and we really are curious about their answer, and we're willing to not have the same opinion as our mentee, and that's okay with us, then we might help them think through some things before they engage in whatever they're engaging in. Right. Maybe we can keep them from abject failure. Yeah. Um, But what is failure, you know? Well, right. Failure is an opportunity to learn. But I think there is a, going back to what you first said, we rely on the Holy Spirit. To know that, right? We have to. We have to just have to. ask. In Second Corinthians thirteen, Paul was in that whole book. He was defending his apostleship, and um, God, God bless him. You know, everybody's saying you're you're such a you're so dumb. You don't know what you're talking about. So he's having to defend his apostleship, and the way he does that is he says, "Well, Christ is in me. Of course, I'm a Yahoo." Right. I'm totally paraphrasing. Right. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> of course, I'm a Yahoo. And then right at the end of the chapter, he speaks to the reader of the letter and he says, when are you going to realize that Christ is in you? 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. Eric, I wish you and I could talk (laughs) on Zoom every morning and I could look at you and say, are you going to realize Christ is in you today? And you'd say (laughs) the same thing to me. Yeah. Right? Are we going to? Well, let's talk about it at the end of the day and I'll tell you when I didn't. (laughs) Right. Right. Man. And there's practices for that. We can... We can learn those too. Okay. So uh, maybe this one, this is my friend, Mike. He said, um, is the mentor willing to learn from their mentee? And we kind of covered that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it goes both ways. Some forms of mentoring, that's not always necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You know, I would say if it's counseling mentoring, um, if the mentor's making, if the counselor's making about what they need to learn, that might really be inappropriate in that form of mentoring. Right. Right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, if apprenticing, you know, an apprenticeship, I love to bake sourdough bread. And as, as I teach people no. how to make sourdough bread, I might, they might be turning the dough in a way, oh my gosh, it's brilliant. I never thought of that. Yeah. Right? right. Even though they're a new newbie. Yeah. I know. I'm willing to learn. Just for the record, yeah. I've seen some of your loves on Facebook <laughs> and they look amazing. Someday I'm going to bring you one. You're oh, that'd right be fantastic! Down the for me, I need to bring you a loaf. So delicious! All right, um, cool. Yeah, I think that's that's a great so a good answer. Is depends on the kind and maybe, but not always. So that's mm-hmm. it's uh, a little a little in imprecise, but you you can discern it as you I, go. I would say, generally speaking, yes, a mentor should be willing to learn from their mentee. Right. Willing, willing is it is I think an important word in that question. Willing, you might not always need to, but should you be willing? Yeah. Well, yeah. A counselor even might hear a, uh, the, the counselee say something, and internally they're like, oh, my gosh, that's brilliant. But they can't, they, ethically, they can't use the rest of their time together to talk about what they need to learn. Right. But internally they might be thinking, the, wow, I just really learned something great from this counselee. Yeah, they can't make it about themselves. but Right, right. right. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Okay, so here's another question from Joe, and this is um, uh, he kind of. Well, I'll read it, and then we can talk about it. So he says, "Does a diagram of the biblical pattern of mentorship look more like a pyramid or interlocking circles?" Oh, which I thought was an interesting way to put it, and maybe the idea of there's a whole bunch of different kinds. Oh, oh, that's so bizarre. He asked that. So (laughs) I have an image. I wish I could like do a screenshot of it <clears throat> so ugh, and um, when I'm talking about creating a, a mentoring culture I suggest to a group of people that maybe you should find an image that um, communicates what m- your definition of mentoring because some people are very image based mm-hmm. so if you can imagine um, concentric circles okay yeah and that's one human person of concentric circles and the and the concentric circles are the people that are around them. Okay? But a community of people are a bunch of concentric circles. Right. Because they're, you know, so here's you and here's me, and we each have our concentric circles around around each other, and we're, we're interlocking with each other. And and um, so that that's the image I use, a pyramid. Why is he su- suggesting that pyramid? Well, I think because... Top down, top down type yeah, thing. Right, yeah, right. I would say, I would say like you're, you've got a mentor and a mentee, and they each have concentric circles. They each have their mentors around them, both the mentee and the mentor. I, I uh, Here at Denver Seminary with the mentoring professors, you've got to have a mentor. I mean, you know, you've got, you got to be living a mentored life if you're going to be a mentored professor. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Right. In all, in, in all its various forms. Right. Yep. Ooh, you know, I, so I think, I think, yeah, I, pyramid, I don't think. I, I think he is getting at the idea of top down, just uh, knowing him probably it's, uh, yeah. you know, this idea. Unfortunately, some of our churches are structured that way in that the, the one person at the top gets to dictate everything that happens. And yeah. uh, now there's, there's a form of mentoring with apprenticeship that, Sure. That might look top down. Yeah. You know, like um, I call that closed, uh, closed system mentoring or a closed posture of mentoring, and that the mentee has no control because they're entering into a mentoring process that's very top down, and and yeah, that can get abusive or misused. But boy, if I'm getting ready to go into surgery and my surgeon had mentors, I'm hoping it was more top down. <laughs> 
Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> you know, so top down isn't necessarily bad, but it can be misused and it can be or or it can be inappropriate for what needs to be learned. Yeah. And as a parent mentor, I didn't want and it was it was top down on right. sometimes. Right. Go to your room, clean it up. Yep. You know? Yep. <laughs> no. Yes. Right. But as we go along, we're trying to move our, our child towards interdependence. And so it can't stay top down. Well, what do you think? Right. Do you want milk or juice? Right. But that is <laughs> do a... Do you want to clean your room now or ne- tomorrow? Right? You're yes. starting to give them more choice. It's less hierarchical. So hierarchy has its... Hierarchy, that might be the wrong word, but top down has its benefits. It, yeah, that's a great point. So, there, so it's not all or nothing. Um, it's one, not one or the other. It's maybe we're trying to move toward maturity in a yeah. way that you can, you can yeah. then, you know, move on yeah. your own and mentor others. Um, you know, I, we can have this conversation some other time maybe, but that I, I'm not sure that always is the goal at our, in most of our churches or many of our churches. No, most mentoring programs and churches fail because it's top down. They, they match mentors to mentees. They don't, here's the, why, here's the number one reason why mentoring programs fail. They don't focus on teaching mentees to be learners and to take ownership. Yes. Right. I, I did some research, and I don't have the exact mm. numbers, but in the last 10 years, around 460 books have been written on mentoring. Wow. Um, only, ugh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, only 55 have any level of focus towards being a mentee or a learner. It's all about how to be a mentor. Yeah. So in the field, and it is a field, in the field of mentoring, we're focused on teaching mentors to be mentors. We're not focused on teaching mentees to be mentees. And at Denver Seminary, that's what we're focusing on, mentees teaching mentees. Not that we don't train mentors, because we do. Right. We are all focused on teaching students to be learners, giving them an opportunity to grow in the lear- being a learner. Right. Oh man, that's, that's so what, powerful. That's what it's about. It, that really, that's what higher education is about. It took me a long time to figure that out, but once I realized I'm learning how to learn, it totally changed the game for me. Right? Because then, yeah, you yeah. know, it doesn't matter if I don't necessarily care for the subject. I'm learning how to learn the subject. Right? Yeah. And we're trying to make that more explicit at Denver Seminary. I love it. You know, it wasn't as explicit as when you were a student. Yeah. I think it's become more. Well, yeah. well, I think I think it took me. You know, even like in college. You know, when I finished college, I realized. Oh, what I've learned here is I don't know everything about biblical studies, right? But I know how to how to think through these things now. So, and this is this is one of the reasons why people will ask me: Is discipleship different than mentoring? So, when I teach on mentoring forms, I don't put discipling and discipling in the being a disciple in the list of mentoring forms because theologically, to me, mentoring is an umbrella term of all those forms, uh-huh. and I think theologically, mentoring and discipling are synonyms. Oh, interesting. But but culturally. That word discipleship typically means how you earlier described it. It's a short little experience where you go to Sunday school or right. I went through the Josh McDowell series. <laughs> I had a little notebook when I was a teenager, a little plastic notebook, and I went through it and then I was made a disciple and I was done. Right. right. I'm a disciple. Um, I didn't really learn how to learn. Right. But the, what does disciple mean in the Greek? It means to be a learner. What is the command? It, it, the command is to go make learners. There's no, the word, the, uh, the word discipleship is not in the Bible. That's a process word. The Bible doesn't tell us how to go about doing it. Right. It just says, make learners and be a learner. Right. Oh, I so, love it. Mentoring, I see as a synonym to discipleship. We don't use that word. We, I, we could call our curriculum discipleship curriculum. Theologically speaking, we don't use that word because it has too much baggage. Um, but theologically, we could be using it, but it has so much baggage that people think, oh, this is just, I'm going to learn how to read the Bible and pray, which are really good things to do. <laughs> but being a learner is so much more than that. Yes. It's also, Luke 2.52 2. says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Stature refers to probably his, his skill. Right. Wisdom is about who he was. He grew. In the later in Luke, it says he he um, had to learn obedience. Yeah, I know. Think about Jesus learning obedience. That's, okay, our Christology right. is so important to the field of mentoring, right? Because Jesus is the perfect example of being a yes. learner. He had to grow in being a learner. Well, he shows us how to be human, right? 
Right, right. And he had to grow. He had to be formed. Mm, and yet he was without sin. <laughs> right. So he did, it per- he did it perfectly. But he's had to learn. Yeah, which means not knowing is not sin. <laughs> so Jesus was a disciple. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Wow. And he made disciples. Yes. That, okay, I'm going to noodle on that for a while. That'll be good. Um, I love it. I think that's really good. I love the the distinction with discipleship. Um, sometime I'd love to talk to you about, because uh, so the critical journey was the other one that really was that I've mm-hmm. taken from seminary and just really, it, it informs almost everything I see now because I think we aim at the wrong goal, right? We aim at the goal of knowledge. We kind of touched on that mm. instead of love. Love is, Christ-like love is the goal. That's where we're headed. And you do that very differently than you do knowledge. Yeah. 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 So becoming a learner, I think, is how you do that. I do, too. I'm with you in that. Mm, I love it. Okay, one last question we had, and that was a question about boundaries. So mm. um, she kind of just states that she's had to learn to set boundaries, but our boundaries, how do boundaries come in in a mentoring relationship? Well, I, I back up from that just a little bit is boundaries first start with knowing that you shouldn't mentor everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm t- speaking primarily to the the mentor here. And then with the mentee is that don't make yourself too much of a project. Give yourself a break and understand that God is more patient with you than you are. Um, so you might have seasons of your life where you don't have a mentor. And that, that's okay. Yeah. Um, when you look back on your life, as, if you get to be 80 and you look back on your life, I hope you have a constellation of mentors that you see, right? But you'll, you yeah. might have seasons. So um, that's an issue of boundaries right there is allow yourself those boundaries. But when you get into the mentoring and mentee relationship, um, bound, yeah, um, compassion, if it's, not, if it's boundaryless, compassion is not really compassion. Brene Brown speaks to this. There's mm. a great short video of hers owned by the work of the people where she's talking about boundaried compassion. Um, and Christ, again, our Christology informs this. Christ had boundaries around his compassion. He didn't heal everyone. Wow. He's yeah. a, he, the, the most profound thing I think anyone can do is to, is to remember that Jesus was, like you said, a human. Yeah. He was a fully human person. We're not, we're not fully human yet. And he was a human without sin. He was a perfect human, and yet he embraced his limitations. That was a, an act of being boundaried. So another... Wow. way is mentoring his brain to pick near to listen and push in the right direction. Embrace the kind of mentor you are. Um, but I think this question was referring to sharing of what you, your life. Yeah, you know, like, I think so. Should I share? Should, you know, if, if for some reason I um, was sexually abused as a child, should I share that? If, you know, and that's similar to that one, first question you asked. Right. You know, and the question is you walk by spirit of loving God. Yeah. And yeah, it's appropriate vulnerability, which is a big word, I, that word makes me nervous, even though it's an important word, and Brene Brown has, again, spoken to a lot of that. Oh, yeah. Um, her, the fault in her earlier books, she didn't talk enough about boundary vulnerability. Um, but, yeah, you can't wear everything on your sleeve. So let me, right. let me I know we're running out of time, um, but th- there's a, I think there's a, a little bit of a scale between what we can call transparency Am I on your left? Yeah. Transparency. Yeah. On your left. And vulnerability. Transparency and vulnerability. The more I get closer to vulnerability, the more I give you opportunity to hurt me with the information. Hurt me with the information I shared. Okay. Does that help? I think so. Yeah. So I can be transparent and say to you, oh, two years ago, um, my husband lost his job. And it was a really hard time, and we got through it, and, um, and we're um, doing really well today, but it was really, really hard. Um, where does that fall on the scale? Well, I think it's more over here near transparency. If I say to you, Eric, we just got notice, and this is not true, by the way. I'm making up the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just got notice that um, my husband's being asked to do something illegal. And I need your help. Yeah. Okay. And we might do it. No. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Um, right. I'm yeah. giving you. You could turn around and really hurt me with that information I just shared with you. I'm being really vulnerable with you. So right. Trust has to have been engendered 
first before I do that. If you have an engendered trust, you really just pay attention to that scale. The, if, I, if you can hurt me with the information, you better have built some trust. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You could. Now, you might break my trust. I, we may have built trust. Happens all the time. I tell you that, and you get on the phone, and you're a podcaster, and you say, guess what I heard about, you know, Joe Blow, he's going to, you know, he's thinking of doing something illegal. Right. Right? Yeah. I didn't tell you that. I just said, well, yeah, maybe I said I were thinking about it, but it's all, yeah, it just was in that conversation. Right? You, right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I could blab on about that. No, that's very interesting. I think that's, that gives us some good food for thought. And so. I, I will shout out my friend Nancy Bouchard for giving me that idea. Oh, nice. Yeah. She, she, that's her idea. There's a scale between vulnerability and, and, um, and, and, transparency yeah i've never thought that's, of that that's I a good idea that's directly from my friend nancy who's a spiritual director <laughs> nancy is amazing and i need to connect with her and have her on the yeah, show because you have her on the podcast i think she would be great yeah yeah okay that's on my to-do list i'm gonna write that down right now all right uh laura we could probably talk about mentoring forever and i love that you thank you for just stopping by and just working on it um I think this is so important. We kind of started with this idea that mentoring really is in, integral to the gospel, to discipleship. Mm-hmm. Even if they're different things, it's part of the process, right? Yeah. And we all need mentors. We probably all have mentors, um, yeah. but it just learning how to think about them is really helpful. Is there any, um, you gave us a few books, but are there any books on mentoring? You mentioned all those books. Is there anything maybe we can give a resource or two that would be helpful? Uh, there's a great book. I don't necessarily love the title, um, but it's called Spiritual Mentor by Mentoring by Anderson and Reese. And they're talking about more companionship in Christ type of mentoring. So spiritual mentoring. I think apprenticing is spiritual mentoring as well. But spiritual mentors, mentoring by Anderson and Reese is a good one. Um, more of a, a higher level book is by Sharon Dallas Parks called Big Questions Worthy Dreams. I call it higher level because she's an educator. Um, and, and the first two chapters might feel a little heavy, but boy, if you could stick with it and get into it. But she's speaking to mentoring young adults in that mm. book. So if you are somebody who has young adults in your life on the horizon or even in, um, currently in your life, that's a really great book. That book helped me be so much of a better mentor, um, just understanding the different different stages of, of interdependence. I'm stealing some of my ideas from her. Yeah. Dependence, independence, interdependence. Yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a great book. Uh, yeah. Cool. So people can find it there. And at some point there'll be a book by my team. I'll let you know later. Oh, nice. Yeah. You should let me know about that. <laughs> so um, there's very few books about being a mentee. Right. Um, are you making, are you writing one? Lois Zachary has written a book, um, both on being a mentor, building a mentoring culture. She's written several books. And then she's written a book called The Mentee's Guide. Okay. That, that one is about being a mentee, but there's very few books on that. So, All right. And, that, and her book is not what I would call faith-based. Sure. There's still some really good helps in it. Um, oh, boy. Uh, um, my bookshelf. I could go on. That's perfect. No, that's perfect. Um, And then your website is where? The Colorado Gardener? Oh, my fun Colorado gardening website? Yeah. ColoradoBackyardGardener.com. That's it. ColoradoBackyardGardener.com. I'm not blogging much over there. I'm more active on Instagram. I'm also on Instagram with that and also on Facebook. And I just love to peek about gardening and every once in a while put some personal stuff. Oh, yeah. It's worth it to follow you and uh, might get some good pictures of sourdough as well. So. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe once an occasion. Maybe you even get a loaf. Yeah, there you go. Laura, thanks for doing this. Thanks for being here. Merry, Merry, well, I shouldn't say Merry Christmas. That's all right. If you're listening to this at Christmas, Merry Christmas, whoever's listening. <laughs> thanks. <laughs>